Scripture reading this morning comes out of Isaiah 7. It'll be verses 1 through 17 of Isaiah 7. If you don't have your Bible with you, there should be a black pew Bible in front of you, and it'll be on page 678 of that black pew Bible. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, to the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of the two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia. Because Syria, with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia, has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within sixty-five years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the last day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. We are in the middle of a series, an Advent series, Christmas Foretold, and we're discovering Christ in the Old Testament and, and trying to see how the unfolding pattern of the Bible leads us inevitably to Him. Because finding Christ and trusting in Christ is how we find hope. In our, in our text today, Judah needs some hope. Last week, Morgan got us started. He taught Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Abraham was given a promise. This is 2,000 years before Christ. And we saw how Christ fulfilled that prophecy. Through Abraham's seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Abraham had a son in his old age, even though his wife was barren. Isaac, Isaac married Rebekah, had Jacob and Esau. Jacob had 12 sons and one daughter. Those sons, those jealous sons, took the favorite brother, sold him into slavery, and God providentially led him to Egypt where he became 
ruler of that great nation. He brought his family to Egypt where they would prosper. They would grow exponentially. We begin to see the Abrahamic covenant come into fruition as God told Abraham to go out and look at the stars. Your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. And we begin to see that in Egypt. They grew so much that the Pharaoh became leery of the Hebrews and he enslaved them where they were there in bondage for 400 years. But they cried out to the Lord and the Lord heard their cries and delivered them from the mighty hand of Pharaoh and led them to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And on the way, he gave them the law so they would know how to live in this new land they were going to be given. But God was even more gracious than that. He set up a system, allowed them to offer sacrifices when they disobeyed his law so they could continue to have fellowship with him. But at this point in time, the one nation of Israel has been split in two, and it's about the 200-year mark of this separation, and things aren't going well for the northern kingdom called Israel, or sometimes called Ephraim. Help clarify that a little bit. And the southern kingdom is called Judah. God is tired of their sacrifice. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 1 just to kind of set the context of this book. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 10 through 17 about these sacrifices they were offering up to the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. You know it's not going well if you're called Sodom and Gomorrah, right? What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Things aren't going well, are they? When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hand, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Well, the northern kingdom is being ruled by Pekah. Its capital was Samaria. The southern kingdom is being led by King Ahaz. Its capital was Jerusalem. Isaiah is a southern kingdom prophet. He prophesied from about 760 to 695 B.C., about 60, 65-year ministry. You want to read 2 Kings chapter 15 through 21. He tells a historical account of the events during his ministry. And almost 700 years before Christ was born. What do we see here? Turn in Isaiah chapter 7. That's our teaching text this morning. We see that we're to trust God and we're to trust His promises. Judah is led by King Ahaz, a wicked king. He's leading the nation away from the Lord. And as a result, the Lord allowed Israel, the northern kingdom, led by Pekah and the Wicked Syrians led by King Rezin to come against Judah. Now again, 
Bryson, we have to keep this separate. You have Syria, led by Rezin, a small country. You have Assyria, which is a growing world power. The Assyrians were taking over the world. And these two wicked kings, the king of Israel and the king of Syria, saw that. And so they invited the king of Judah, Ahaz, to join them in an alliance to help fend off this threat of the Assyrian power. When Ahaz refused, they decided to attack Judah. They wanted to set up a puppet king which will strengthen their cause against Assyria. And they've attacked Judah. And if you read the historical events, 2 Kings chapter 16, 2 Chronicles chapter 28, you'll discover that there was 120,000 men from Judah had died along with the king's son. But nonetheless, Jerusalem was not taken. And when told about this alliance, verse 2, it talks about the house of David. This is Ahaz and the kings of Judah. He quaked in fear. He was afraid. He was attacked and he had lost much, but Jerusalem still stood and he's afraid. And notice in chapter 7, verse 3, the Lord had sent Isaiah to go and meet him and tell him not to fear these two enemies. In fact, he calls them smoldering stumps of firebrands. Trying to figure out what in the world does that mean? And the best thing I found was uh, Ray Ortland. He calls them some old discarded cigarette butts, which means they weren't going to mount for much of anything. In verse 7 through 9, he, God lets Ahaz know these two enemies, they have an expiration date and they're about to expire. What will Ahaz do? Don't fear, the Lord says. Don't fear. They will not stand. They'll fall. Just trust me. What will Ahaz do? He's the, the wicked king. Will he fear God? The God who had chosen them as his own people and been faithful to bring them out of Egypt, make them into a great nation? We trust this God who has led them through the wilderness to the promised land and given them a land that wasn't their own, given them homes they didn't build and crops they didn't plant. Will he trust the God who has been so good to his people? Look at verse 9. And the, the head of Ephraim, that's Israel, is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. It's interesting, after he names Pekah one time, he doesn't mention him again. God is so disgusted with this king of Israel that he calls him, oh, what's his name? Doesn't even mention his name. Look at the end of verse 9. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Ahaz, trust me. You can trust me to take care of these two enemies of yours who've come against you. Just trust me. They will be destroyed. They're Ministry is about over. Their reign is about over. Their rule is about over in Syria and in Israel. God said, if you don't trust me, you'll have no chance. You'll be destroyed. You'll be like Pekka and Rezin. You'll be swept away by my judgment. Just kind of spoiler alert, Ahaz was the last free king of Judah. All the kings after Ahaz, they'll be puppet kings. First, they'll be puppet kings of Assyria, and then they'll be puppet kings of Babylon. 
so we know what decision he made. Will he trust the Lord? No, he would not. But look what the Lord does in verse 10. The Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask for a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. Ask for a sign. You think I can be faithful? You think I can be trusted? You think I can take care of these two kings for you? The sky's the limit, Ahaz. Let me give you a sign to prove that I can that I can take care of this issue for you. But Ahaz is godless and faithless. Ahaz already, he already had a plan of his own in mind. He isn't really listening, is he? He's plotting it away. So look at verse 12. He tries to appear pious. He tries to appear godly. But Ahaz says, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. He is basing his decision on a biblical prohibition found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you test him at Massa. But you see, think about Ahaz. He's, he's trying not to listen. He doesn't want a sign because the reassurance of a sign given to him by God would have increased his obligation to trust the Lord instead of doing what he wanted to do, which is trust the king, the wicked king of Assyria. So he doesn't want to hear a sign. His negative response to God's positive promise revealed his true heart. And it's wearing God out. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Ahaz saw no way to win the war. He doesn't trust Isaiah. He doesn't trust the Lord. So he reaches out to the wicked king of Assyria for help. And if you continue reading verse 17, 18 through 25, you'll see the tragic story of Ahaz's faithless alliance with Assyria. Ahaz, he turns away from the sweet promises of God and invites this monster of a king to save him from his trouble. We'll come back to the promise in verse 14. The Lord said he'll give a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call, him, call his name Emmanuel. We'll come back to that in a moment. Look at verse 15. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Now, some of you, especially those from up north, might like cheese curds. Some of you like might like honey. It's sweet. Cheese curds are pretty good. But what is Isaiah doing? He's painting a picture. Who eats curds and honey? It's those who are nomads, who have nothing else to eat. This is not a good situation. In the time that it would take an infant to grow up where they could make moral decisions, by that time, these two kings that you so fear, they'll be exterminated. That's his point. In fact, in 732, Syria was destroyed by Assyria. And 10 years later, 722, of course, we know the northern kingdom was exiled to Assyria as well. So here we have Ahaz. He's crying out to the king of Assyria for help to take care of these two kings that's come against him. Someone has said this 
whole things like a mouse attacked by two rats squeaking for the cat to come save them. And the cat did. But the mouse ended up as dessert. And that's what happened with Ahaz. Second Chronicles chapter 28, verse 16 through 21, it tells us that in the end, this verse 9, this promise was true. He didn't trust the Lord. And whatever he did would fail, and it did. The one who he desired to help him ended up turning on him. We'll see his son, Hezekiah, who was a godly man, being attacked time and time again by the Assyrians. In the end, it wasn't the Syrians, nor was the northern kingdom the biggest thorn in their flesh, but it was this Assyrian army, the one that he had asked help from. Isn't that the way that sin works? The very thing we think is going to help us and set us free and satisfy us, it ends up trapping us, leading us to destruction. Again, read through 18 through 25. You'll see the, the result of their misfortune of trusting the Assyrians. You see the Assyrians, the Babylonians coming and wreaking havoc on their nation. But real quickly, just by way of application, when times get tough, where do we turn? Do we turn and trust the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God of the universe, or do we trust our own? Maybe our own family members, our own friends, our own wisdom. Trust God and trust His promises. That's the lesson we learn from old King Ahaz. The second thing we see is the virgin birth of Emmanuel is a promise of hope. Let's go back to that verse, verse 14. If Ahaz doesn't want a sign, the Lord says, I'm going to give you one anyway. The sign wasn't for Ahaz specifically, but it was for Judah as a whole. A virgin will have a child, and she'll be called Emmanuel. So we have to have a question. Anytime there's a sign given, a promise given, when was this fulfilled? Is this sign for Ahaz? And was this fulfilled in his lifetime or for those to come? And some have proposed this prophecy was fulfilled in the birth of Isaiah's second son or maybe Ahaz's son, Hezekiah. But we'll say it certainly could not be Isaiah's second child spoken of in chapter 8. He already has a son and that second child wasn't named Emmanuel. It couldn't be Ahaz's son. Hezekiah, because he was already born years earlier. So I think it's somewhat of an enigmatic promise, but it's a glimpse into the future. What was this for? This promise of the virgin having a child. We know that judgment's going to be poured out. If you read in context, Isaiah chapter 1 through 6 is all about judgment. Judgment is coming. Hard times are coming. But Emmanuel, God with us, is a hopeful message for this troubled nation. And we need greater explanation about this child named Emmanuel. We'll see his name mentioned again in chapter 8, verse 8. Again in chapter 8, verse 10. And in chapter 9, which Chase is going to teach us next week, refers to a, a coming son who'll be a, a Davidic messianic ruler. He's going to reign forever and forever and forever. And so what happens in these latter passages as we 
see that Revelation progressively displayed as we read through the Scriptures. These are commentaries that clarify the identity of this Emmanuel. So what's not really clear in chapter 7 becomes more clear as we continue to get prophecy after prophecy. And then we get to Matthew and we get to Luke. Turn in Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read this. See what Matthew's understanding of this passage. Now think about in context, Ahaz, as I told you, he was the last free king of Judah. There was no more kingdom of David. The northern kingdom is exiled by Assyria. And then 136 years later, the southern kingdom is exiled by Babylon. And even when, even when the Israelites returned from the captivity in Babylon, things were never the same. And so for another 500 years, the Israelites have to wonder, how will God's promises that David will never lack a man to sit on the throne, how can it be that those promises can be true? How can these things truly happen? And so they watched and they waited for a Messiah. In Ahaz's days, they're oppressed by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. And then in Matthew's day, hundreds of years later, 500 years later, you have the Romans. They're ruling over the Jews. Look at chapter 1 of Matthew, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. This is commentary, right, on Isaiah chapter 7. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And here we have this passage in Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not. Why? Because she had to be a virgin, right? Until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. See, when this angel comes to Joseph, he says, Joseph, your wife the one that you're engaged to, she'll give birth. And that's going to fulfill this prophecy spoken by the prophet Isaiah. See, the, the birth of this baby from a virgin didn't simply symbolize that God is with his people. No, the birth of this child means that God is with his people in the flesh. Because he won't just be called Emmanuel, God with us. He will be Emmanuel, God with us. And this Davidic king won't save his people from earthly trials. See, that's what Ahaz wanted. Save me from my trouble. Save me from the Syrian king and the Israelite king. He was wanting temporary relief or temporary rescue. No, this 
Davidic king. He's saving us from God himself. See, he was born. He obeyed the law and he died on a cross absorbing the wrath that the Father must pour out on sinners. He was resurrected on the third day so that sinners could be justified. So Matthew, he's quoted Isaiah. He's saying, put your trust in this little baby, the one born of a virgin who will live and die for sinners. If you trust him, he will save you. But just as Isaiah chapter 7 verse 9 says, if you do not trust him, you will not live. This Christmas story, this nativity, this declarations of prophecies fulfilled, they're not in, intended just to distract us for a little while from the dreariness and difficulty of life this Christmas season. See, this Christmas text is the ground of hope. It's the source of joy for people who are hurting, people who are needy. Not just in Isaiah's day, but in our day as well. A sign was given. A promise of a sign. A virgin will have a child and he'll be called Emmanuel. Looking back on that wonderful event in history and what proceeded from it, sign tells us that God will give us all we need. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not also with him graciously give us all things? Have you placed your faith in Emmanuel, the one born of a virgin? If so, we invite you to join in a family meal like having a big old humongoloid table and we're asking family members to scoot your chairs up and we're going to have a meal we're going to take the Lord's Supper communion if you've placed your faith in Christ we encourage you to take the Lord's Supper with us why do we take the Lord's Supper well we take the Lord's Supper because we're commanded to Jesus on the night he was betrayed according to 1 Corinthians 11 tells us to take this supper because it's going to help us remember what Christ has done for us. His body was broken. We eat the bread. Remembering Christ's body broken. And then we drink the juice. Reminding us that Jesus' precious blood was spilt for us. If you're not a believer, by way of application or from Isaiah chapter 7, I want to encourage you to repent, turn from your sin, and trust, trust Christ, whose birth was foretold hundreds of years before it happened. Because God is infinite in wisdom and knowledge and insight. That was His plan from the beginning, to send His Son to live and to die for sinners like you and me. So if you never trusted Christ, we we'll encourage you to do so by way of application today.
place your faith in Jesus, turn from your sin, living for yourself, trust the work that Christ did on the cross for you, that He died for you, received the wrath of the Father for you, and He was resurrected on the third day for you so that you could be made right with God. I encourage you to do that today. I'd love to talk to you about that after our service today. If you've got a question about that, I'd love to explain that further. Talk more about how you can know the Lord. But for us who are believers, it's time to eat. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is teaching this church that had many difficulties how to take the Lord's Supper rightly because they were doing it wrongly. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night He was betrayed took bread and when He had given thanks He broke it. He said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way He took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Now what's interesting, God in His infinite wisdom, He gave us this ordinance for a reason. He knew we would need it. He knew that here on December the 4th, 2022, we'd be gathered in this church and we'd need to stop, pause. We'd need to confess our sin and examine ourselves. We'd need to repent of sin and focus on Christ. So that's what we're going to do. Does anybody need a, any of the elements? Raise your hand. Anybody, everybody have one? Anybody need it? Okay. We've already set before the Lord in confession. Let's just set before the Lord one more time and then we'll, we'll peel back the, the labels here and we'll take the bread and we'll drink the juice in remembrance of Christ. But let's just quiet ourselves and Get ready to take this. It's a very um, serious moment, isn't it? A very sober moment just to sit before the Lord. and We're sitting before a Lord who's, who's omniscient. He knows all things. That's what makes this ordinance so special. He knows each and every heart. He knows where we failed he knows where we lack faith. He knows all of those hidden things. But yet He sent Christ to live for us so we could have that perfect record. And He died for us. Receiving the wrath of the Father so that here, 2,000 years ago, we could trust His work and be reconciled to this holy God. Let's give thanks for the body broken. Father, we are thankful for Jesus. We fail in so many ways. We're so unlike Christ. We don't love like Him. We don't live like Him. We don't forgive like Him. We don't have compassion like Him. But yet He came and took on flesh. He walked this earth in perfect obedience to you. He left the glories of heaven to live among sinners. We're thankful for His body. 
We're thankful that it was broken for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat the bread, remembering Christ's body broken for us. What can wash away our sins? None but the blood of Jesus. Father, we're thankful for your son's precious blood. We're so thankful that even our sins are like scarlet. They can be washed white as snow because of this precious blood. We're thankful for all the promises given and all the the shadows and pictures and symbols. All those Old Testament sacrifices pointing us to the one true perfect sacrifice in Christ. We're thankful for His blood shed for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's drink it. Remember His blood shed for us. <clears throat>